be mine. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we will help you learn to invest in 20 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and for the hundredth time, I am joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, bro? I'm good, Bryce. How are you? Very well. Hundred episodes. Hundredth episode. Not including our summer series, but this is our hundredth Real season episode, massive milestone for us. Who would have thought yeah, we'd hit a hundred? I know, I know. It's uh, it's it's pretty exciting. It is. It's been a really good journey over the last two years, and I think I've certainly learned a lot, and uh, am having an absolute ball. Um, if anyone out there wants to invest in equity, mate, so Ren and I can do this full time and leave our day jobs. <laughs> you know our email address. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the dream. Yeah. By episode two hundred, we uh, we should be doing this full time. Your fingers crossed. At the rate we're going, we'll be hitting 200 quicker than we hit the first 100. So a massive thanks to all of our equity mates out there who have joined us on the journey as we learn to invest along with you guys. Um, you know, we're certainly snowballing at the moment and getting more and more people joining the community. Um, so a huge thanks. We couldn't have done it without you. I guess the highlight for us, Ren, most recently has been briefly hitting number one spot on Australian business charts, iTunes charts, and number 26 in Australia overall. We've cracked the US markets, the UK charts. So I guess from, a, you know, we're pretty proud of that. And as I said, couldn't have done it without our listeners. So massive thanks. Yeah, definitely. It's been fun. Like we've uh, we've spoken to people we wouldn't otherwise get to speak to. We've built a pretty good community around equity mates. We've got a lot of equity mates out there who um we've helped get them started on their investing journey or uh, entertain them as we fumbled through our own. Absolutely. So speaking of speaking to people, Ren, our hundredth episode today is not all about us. We are sitting down with the Queen of Candlesticks and bringing you another episode in our Expert Investor series. We are chatting to Louise Bedford, who is a best-selling author. She's the co-creator of the Trading Mentor Program, which we'll get into. She's an engaging keynote speaker. Um, as I said, a candlestick expert and a trading expert. So we really dig deep in this episode into all things trading, candlesticks. Um, and yeah, I thought it was a really good chat, Ren, did you? Yeah, definitely. We... um. We have some. Uh, we have we have a slight disagreement in there that uh, <laughs> that you're here, <laughs> but I think uh, you know there's plenty of different ways to invest, and uh, I, I found it really interesting, and I, I definitely am going to read her books, and uh, we'll hopefully get Louise back on at some point in the future as well. Absolutely. So without uh, any further ado, on our hundredth episode, here is us. Well, well, hold on. <laughs> With one little bit of further ado, okay. Uh, you know, we don't ask for much from our equity mates out there, but as a little hundredth episode present, we would love if you could uh, jump onto iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a rating or just tell a friend about it, you know, spread the love. We've done a hundred episodes of these uh, without, you know, without asking for much um, and would love it if you could... Uh, help help us spread the word for the next 100 episodes. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it any better, Ren. So, without any further ado... Yes? 
<laughs> Here is Louise Bedford. Oh, wait, one more. No, no. <laughs> okay, enjoy. All right, Louise. Well, thank you very much for joining us on Equity Mates Investing Podcast. Really appreciate you coming onto the show. To get started, we want to do a bit of an overrated, underrated against a number of um, sort of asset classes so we can get an understanding of what your investing style and preference is if you're willing to join us in this game. Sure, sounds fun. All righty. So I'll kick it off. Overrated or underrated Australian property? About right at the moment. I think people are getting some shakes at the moment with Australian property, particularly with Sydney and Melbourne. They've outperformed for quite a while and funds are moving into Brisbane. So I think wherever the jitters are, I think it's quite well founded. So I'm going to go about right. Uh, Overrated or underrated government bonds? I know nothing about them and don't touch them. So can't even comment. (laughs) Okay. Overrated, underrated the US market? Underrated. There are more opportunities there than the Australians give it credit for. I think we don't look over the ASX when we're looking to find an investment opportunity and there are, there's money to be made elsewhere. So the US is a great place to start, lots of liquidity, good trends, long-term trends as well and easy to get into and out of. Overrated or underrated candlestick charts? Oh, they are underrated. You knew I'd say that. Goodness. <laughs> My darling candlestick charts, people don't even know what they are, for goodness sake. And it's such a, a key to investing beautifully. So, yes, I'm sure we'll talk about that more. Yes, we certainly will. Uh, overrated or underrated? Momentum. Overrated. Absolutely. Most people, when they're looking at momentum, they put multiple momentum charts together and think that they're having a weight of evidence for that chart. And it's ridiculous. They'll use an RSI, stochastic, an MACD, and maybe a CIROC. And they go, hey, I've got a really balanced view regarding where that chart is heading. But no, you're duplicating every single one of those indicators. So often with my traders, I suggest they disregard momentum momentum, particularly when they're learning about trading. Now, I think there's a lot of terms in there that people will get confused by, but uh, we'll, we'll get into them or we'll explain them in the show notes. Next one, overrated or underrated uh, margin loans or leverage accounts? Overrated. I think people charge into leverage far too early in their trading career. It is the pointy end. You can definitely fly into the flame very quickly. So I would be careful about applying anything to do with a margin loan, leverage, even leveraged items such as options or CFDs. Wait until you have your training wheels off. Good advice. Overrated or underrated Warren Buffett? Oh, he's about right. People love him, don't they? He's (laughs) such a wise dude. We love him. Oh, he's just, every time he says something, I think everybody sits up and listens and it's deep on so many levels. His latest information on carving out time to think, I think is just fantastic. You know, if you have every moment of your calendar booked solid, you're doing it wrong. You're not giving yourself time to really fly from a subconscious level. So I love his views on just stopping, pausing and giving yourself time. Uh, Overrated or underrated emerging markets? So, so overrated. People think they have to be in an emerging market because, hey, that's where the action is. I was even on one of the tests that I had to do for my Australian financial services licence. The correct answer to this was 
should you advise your investors to invest in the emerging market of Bolivia? And the answer was yes, according to the test. And I wrote no and, of course, didn't get that right. I think it is ridiculous for people to plunge on in to a market that is not regulated, doesn't have sufficient liquidity, doesn't have charts that you understand that are household names. So I think a lot of people do themselves grievous damage by jumping in too early to markets that are considered to be emerging. So overrated or underrated cash and term deposit? Look, that's about right rated as well. I'm kind of going middle of the line there also. I Mm. think just to extend that question, one of the hidden secrets about success is learning how to save. And a lot of people need to start doing that more effectively, putting things into cash and putting things away so that you can't touch it, I think is a great way to get going. And I still suggest that to even people in their 40s and 50s, If you don't know how to save, you're missing out on that wonderful eighth wonder of the world, compound interest. It really does make such a difference. And certainly, I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but the tiny little things that you can do to ensure that down the track, you are financially viable, using cash and using term deposits should be in the mix. Nice, Louise. We made it. Good, good. Good. So we conclude. We can conclude that um, I think your most enthusiastic answer there was candlestick charts. Oh, yes. <laughs> love my candlestick charts, <laughs> which we'll get into a bit later. Um, but that was fun. I think it was a, a good way to start. So, Louise, you're a best-selling author, trading mentor, experienced technical analyst. You're a keynote speaker. You're a behavioural finance expert and a candlestick trading expert, probably among bunch of other talents that uh, we are not aware of. Um, So where did it all start for you? Um, I mean, there's a lot of experience there. So how did you become sort of so involved in markets and I guess end up with a focus on education? Well, look, I've always loved money. There's no doubt. I was the kid that cheated at Monopoly to be able able to win. (laughs) Surely I wasn't the only one hiding the money under the board so nobody knew how much she had. And then at the last moment, dun, dun, dun. (laughs) I was uh, very much inclined to try and make my money work for me. I grew up in quite a a poor household. Um, Dad had his own business, but every cent we had went back into Dad's business. So there was never a luxury. Every item of clothing was handmade, including my first bra. Uh, we just didn't have money to go and shop at Target and it gave me a definite hunger. Now, fast forward a little bit to my early, early 20s. I went to a function with my husband-to-be, who we didn't know that at that stage. Gosh, we're only... (laughs) 1920 at the time and there was a guy from stage and he said there are three ways to make money there is property but you can never sell off a part of your house if you run into financial difficulty there's the share market and I knew that dad had made money in the share market we went from being quite poor to very well off with a few gold trades of dad's uh, when I was in year 11 so that made a huge difference and it definitely turned my head and he said there's also business and I just went my gosh after seeing it laid out like that I knew that I wanted to be good at business and I wanted to be good at the share market it just made so much sense to me so I started investing when I was about 20 um, I certainly didn't know what I was doing 
I saw a broker's name down the back of an ANZ bank and his name was Chris and I was I was going out with a Chris. I'd had seven out of my nine boyfriends. Their names were Chris's. So I've basically been <laughs> friends. Um, so I've never met a Chris that I didn't like. My best friend, who's a girl, is Christine. Um, my boss was a Christine. So it just all made sense. So I just rang this total stranger and I said, do you know how to trade? And he said, no, I don't know how to trade. I'm just starting. But let's learn with your money. <laughs> Good. And I just thought it was the best offer. I just thought, wow, I was naive. I thought it was fun to learn with a running partner. And that broker made his name and we did this together. It was fantastic. I learned all the things that didn't work and he directed me with some of his other clients who were making money. So for me, the world just opened up and I traded alongside my job and the better I got in my job, the better I went in the share market because I think sometimes the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. Having said that though, it did take me three years to break even. Are you going to kick me off the show now? <laughs> no, definitely not. My my first trade uh, lost over 99% of its value. So, you know, we accept all oh, types yes. here. <laughs> Kindred spirits. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Look, after, after those first three years where I was just starting to work things out and I didn't have any books back then, there were no Australian books on the share market, I ordered in a book from America after meeting this lady who she just told me about candlestick charting. She was she was amazing and I'll tell you about her in just a moment. But I ordered a book that came to Austria to begin with, FedEx. So I had to pay FedEx again to get it to Australia because the Americans didn't know where Australia was back then. <laughs> Very unfortunate. So the reason why I decided to get educated was I said to my broker at that stage, I said, oh my gosh, you are making all the money through brokerage. I am losing all of the money. I know you wanted to learn together, but this is not working. And I threw an adult hissy fish. Pleasant, isn't it? Grown woman <laughs> screaming at her broker. Yes. So he wasn't very impressed. But look, the good thing is, is he said, look, if you want to do this, I can introduce you to somebody who can help you. And he found me a trader. She was incredible. She was living in an amazing house. I went over with a little peace offering of Mrs. Fields cookies because what do you bring the woman who has everything? Hopefully something to eat. She lived alone in this mansion with her little poodles and she was terrifying. I was led into her house. She actually said to me, she goes, I don't usually see people. I'm quite a recluse. And I thought, wow, I can really tell. And she said, tell me your trading strategy. What are your methods? And I said, well, I tend to consistently lose money. <laughs> That's what I do. Come to me, Louise Bedford. Yes. And she slammed her fist on the kitchen table and she yelled at me, do you use candlesticks? And I looked at her and I did probably five long blinks thinking the next step is she's going to murder me. I haven't told anybody where I am. Nobody knows I'm in this huge mansion. My gosh, this is the end of it for me. And I said, I have no idea what you mean. Do you mean do I light candles for ambience before I trade? I don't know what you're talking about. And she took me through to her office. She had hand-drawn candlestick charts 
all over her walls. She had a Reuters terminal back then. My God, a Reuters terminal, 18 grand a year. That was like unheard of in my view. And she said, watch. And so she tapped onto the Reuters terminal. She got a price. She went over to a hand-drawn chart and added a candle to the chart and kept on doing this all around the office. And I was just like, what in the hell? Is it Alice in Wonderland? I'm in the twilight zone. I said to her, I don't know what you're doing. And she said, that's why you're losing money. You need something that has entry, exit, position sizing, which now we know is a trading system because they're the three tenants of of any good trading system. And she said, you need to read. And she gave me the name of that book that eventually arrived all the way from America via Austria back to America into my hand in Australia. So that's how I got started. <laughs> so so just to um, – what was the name of the book again? Um, it was the Steve Nissen book and it was called Candlestick Charts, but I don't think that one's around anymore. But any book that you can get by Steve Nissen on candlesticks, he is like the candlestick king. I'm known as the candlestick queen, but really he predated me by a good decade or two with his candlestick knowledge. Okay, great. So what we'll do for any listeners out there, we'll include a link ideally to the book, but at least to Steve Nissen in the show notes for this show. Fantastic. He's a, he's a great dude too. He's been on my podcast. Um, he's just lovely and caring and he's wanting to help people establish themselves as traders. Yeah, that's great. Now, it's probably worth um, pausing for a minute and just uh, touching on your definition of trading. Do you, do you distinguish between uh, trading and long-term investing? Uh, do you, When you're trading, do you have a particular time horizon that you trade towards? Yeah, good question. I think sometimes we can get caught up on definitions. Look, I know the tax department does define trading and investing differently. They consider if you are a trader that you'd have like a business plan or a trading plan, you'd have a certain frequency of trading and you would have set yourself up as a professional. But in my view, investors should do the same. So, investors typically don't trade short, which means making money out of a downtrend. Mainly, they hold and hope. They get into a share because they think it's, in inverted commas, a good company and they hang on in there maybe for five years, maybe 10, maybe 20 years and they don't often look at the chart. They don't take an active and proactive view about how to get the best out of their money working for them in that particular trade. So, investing, look, there's a place for it. Certainly, if you want to not take an active interest, then you'd really better get involved in inverted commas a good share, even though I don't believe in that term. Because if you're not going to look at it, gosh, you can be swept away in a downtrend. So, trading typically, we trade over multiple different time horizons depending on the length of our view of the trend. We also trade whether it's going up and make money or trade short where we're wanting it to go down and make money out of it going down. We look at different instruments. So instruments might be things like equities, which is shares. It might be CFDs. It might be options. It can be different tools, different tools that also have leverage in them, like an ETF, for example. You can trade with leverage 
or without leverage. So traders are more versatile, more active. We're definitely sexier than investors. Yeah. <laughs> Warren Buffett's pretty sexy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, it all depends on the rose-coloured glasses you pop on. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think we can definitely have a bigger conversation around that. Um, you know, some of the characterisation of uh, you know holding and hoping and uh, the upsides and downsides of short-term trading. But I, we'll get to that. Um, back back to you and your sort of investing journey. Um, so after you uh, got this, you met this person, you got this candlestick chart book uh, and you started getting into it, uh, what was your first sort of trades and um, how did you decide on it and how did your journey go from there? Sure. It was for me literally like a light had turned on. I went from being completely unprofessional with it, doing that whole gut feel and, oh, this has got a cute name, sausage software, I think I'll buy that, that type of concept, <laughs> to becoming much more focused and specific and more business-like about my trading. So, those very, very first trades, I do remember Ross Mining was in there, Qantas was in there, which was funny because their planes go up, but at that time, the share price was definitely going down. Um, I believe HIH was in there as well. So, some of these aren't even around anymore. So, really, those first, first forays into the share market, they, they, didn't, go, they didn't go the way that I thought. But then, once I had discovered candlestick charting and trading where you're looking at the group psychology, how people are thinking and how their views are represented on a chart and really getting into the soul of are you going up or down on public perception. That's when things changed for me. So entry, exit and position sizing suddenly became written down. They became my Bible. That was my gospel. I followed my trading plan during times of trading pressure. And that's the key. You need to have a written trading plan. You need to follow it meticulously. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. Mm. Yeah, interesting. So what what did you learn about money and, and, and sort of investing growing up in, in your 20s um, and during that sort of period of time that you've ca- really carried through to now? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. I think there's a few different things that we pick up more or less at the top of the stairs when we're listening to our parents talk and mm. then there's things in our own life. Mm. So my my background, as I mentioned, dad had his own business and I knew that there was hope in that. I liked that entrepreneurial view but I also knew that that was deprivation. So in my 20s, <laughs> I started my own business and it failed. I started a career and then ultimately that career failed because I actually ended up with an awful health issue and I had to leave that job. So I was a full-time trader after five years in the markets. So the things that I think I learned where I could live on very little. I knew how to survive because I'd had a business in personnel that went down the tube. I had a physical ailment, which meant actually that I couldn't move my arms for about three years. So with trading, trading was my solution. I traded with a pen in my mouth so that I could tap the keyboard. I had that broker that I mentioned. He was on speed dial and I used to say to him, add this up, divide it by this. Good. Buy that many shares. What does it say? 
And that's how I traded because it's really hard to operate a calculator with a pen in your mouth and to speak. Uh, <laughs> so my 20s were the time that I quit my job for good and I became a full-time trader. It's when I got married. It's when I didn't think I'd be able to have children because of my physical ailment. I ultimately did have kids, but it took quite a while before I actually got better. And it was just a time of feeling panicked but jubilant and right on the edge of my capabilities and but in the flow and in the zone where I was so sure that I could make it but then the next minute I'd think oh my god who am I kidding and it was really so tumultuous but so much fun as well and really the time when I discovered who I was yeah quite the story Let's let's move into charts because there's been a lot of reference to um, candlestick and for our listeners, it's probably a term that they may have come across, but most likely it not and something that we certainly haven't discussed on the show at all. Um, oh, how remiss of you. Oh, <laughs> come on. I'm hey, so glad the, I'm here for your listeners. <laughs> we're the sexy long-term <laughs> investors, so. <laughs> um, so. Charts, I guess, broadly speaking, you know, charts um, can can be quite confusing and daunting, and and sometimes you know it's quite hard to know where to start. Um, I've read Stan Weinstein's uh, How to Trade Like a Stock Market Wizard and and a few other sort of chart related books, which I found very interesting. Um, you know, he talks about the value of momentum and and that sort of stuff, um, but. Stan is the man. Stan is fantastic. I loved his share stages analysis and I particularly love his haircut on the front of the book. (laughs) (laughs) That's a beautiful thing. (laughs) Yeah, it's a a fantastic book. I did get a lot out of it. Um, And I think, can can you start by saying, by, by talking through like, you know, is there a simple way of getting our heads around charts because um, yes. it's, Let's it's get down to some, some concepts here that you can implement. Now, this is regardless of time frame. So, even as a long-term investor, really, Bryce, you need to be doing this. So, yeah. I want to hear next time I'm we chatted. Yeah, good <laughs> that you are looking at charts and that you're you're analysing. So, the first thing I do is you can go on to something like Yahoo Finance and you can call up a free chart. So, this can be done to begin with very inexpensively. So, call up the name of chart that you know and get it onto a candlestick chart as well and I'll tell you why it's because color tells you exactly what's happening now if it's green if the candlestick chart is green then that's the color of growth that means money's pouring in on that particular day or that particular week it means that the close is above the open price that's what that color means so look for the color first If you've got more green candles than red, that means it's going up. Now, red is the colour of blood. So, money's leaking out of that chair. It's bleeding. You can almost hear it screaming as it goes down. (laughs) If you have a closed position below the open, that colours in that candlestick body, that coloured part, red. So, you've got green and red to begin with. So, firstly, with any share that you own, look at the colour. Look at the colour on the chart. If you've got more green than red and it's sloping up from the left-hand side to the right-hand side of the chart, it's going up. They're the ones you want. 
You want them when they're already building, they've already got interest, people are pouring their money into that share, there's a lot of buoyancy and people are excited. That's what drives that, I guess, uptrend where you've got human emotion and people are backing that emotion with their money and it's greed. People think it's going to go higher. They're the ones that you want. So when you're starting with charting, the first thing I'd do, pop it onto a candlestick chart, look at the colour of the candle and look at the slope of that chart. And that should get you started, Bryce. So, sorry, Ren, I'm just with that. So we spoke to uh, Matt Leewitz. He's um, CEO of Stake and used to trade through Optiva. And he um, constantly talks about sort of what you mentioned there is finding charts that go from bottom left to top right. Um, you know, finding stocks that are in, in a good upward trend and, and are in demand. Do you have a set sort of time frame that you adjust your chart to, to look for that sort of upward trend is it a week a month a year what where do you start with that yeah i just use the default i know that that's really lazy but whatever it comes up on it just immediately <laughs> that's what i look at so i really think with this you can get totally complicated and that's not going to help it's far better that you break things down into very simple terms. So if you think of the definition of a trend, that means a series of higher highs and higher lows. So what that gives you is that lovely channel, that left to right upward slope. And that's what you're after. You're after one that I think of as marriage material. You know, like, let's just break it down. You know, you've got your one night stand type of share. They're the ones that, hey, they look good from across the room, maybe a little bit of a wink here and there, but you're not going to stick with them long term. They're not going to be for you. It'll be fun for a moment, but then, hey, you'll move on to somebody that's more stable and secure and, and that has a track record of success and that you can see has the glint in their eye for their future, not just for now. And they're the ones you want. You want marriage material when you're looking at charts. <laughs> Is that giving you a different view? Look at your charts slightly differently. <laughs> so um, you, you've explained their uh, candlestick charts. Are they the only kind of charts you – use or do you also look at you know the more simple line charts and stuff like that oh my gosh alec wash your mouth out no <laughs> no we don't mention bar charts we don't mention line charts they're very ugly there's no color there's no movement and also really if you look at a line chart that's just charting the closing price and it's joining it all up with a line so it's giving you only 25 percent of what a candlestick chart will give you. A candlestick chart gives you open, close, high and low, and it gives you beautiful patterns that you can't see on a bar chart. And really in my book, The Secret of Candlestick Charting, that's the core of it. It's being able to visually spot a trend and being able to make money from that trend and for it to give you those signals with an unequivocal, this is what you need to do signal. Because if it's vague, if you're not sure, if it doesn't fit what I call your archetype, which is your perfect share, your marriage material share, if it doesn't fit that look, then you don't have any business touching that with your money. Leave that for other people, Alec. It's not for you. A candlestick chart, as you just said, shows you the highs that it'll hit during the day and also the close price, whereas a, a line chart just shows you the close price. Both of them, I guess, show you a trend over time. Um, why, why is it more important to you to see what the high was during the day relative to the close price? Yeah, so Bryce, the, the candlestick chart gives you open, close, high and low. But mm. yes, the, the high is important and the low is important. But for candles 
and certainly for the the mystique around this 300-year-old technique because this is an ancient Japanese technique, traditionally the open and the close are the most significant parts of the day. The amateurs open the market, the professionals close the market and the dynamite type of interaction during the day, that can be quite explosive so you can get quite an obscene high or an obscene low but you're not after that. You're after where does the majority lie with that? And that's the candle body, that difference between the open and the close. So right. even though highs and lows are important, there's, there is no doubt about that. But that is not the most significant part of the trading period at all, Bryce, with that. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So I just got to pick up on that. You said um, candlestick charting is a 300-year-old Japanese art. Uh, so, so in the 1700s in Japan, they were charting their stock market. Yes, yes. This uh, guy who was the youngest of 17 children, his name was Homer. He, and if you think of why this is interesting that he's the youngest, apart from the fact that I'm the youngest as well, so that kind of always piques my my interest. It used to be that business in Japan got passed on to the eldest son. But Homer, he was such a superstar with the rice markets in Japan. And it's quite amazing when you go over there and you see the rice the rice kind of barrels that they are all linked up in. They used to trade this rice. Homer strung 100 men out. Here's the the unverifiable fact. (laughs) 100 men out, rooftop to rooftop, from rice market to rice market, to be able to yell out prices of rice across those rooftops so that he could have his real-time data. It's a beautiful thing. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. (laughs) So I guess um, back to the present day and to your explanation of candlesticks, um, one thing that's always confused me about uh, charting is when people start talking about interpreting the charts to find different formations and use them as uh, buy or sell signals. You know, there's uh, the the three white soldiers signal, the bullish engulfing, the piercing line. There's a bunch of terms that are used for different shapes that start to appear on charts. Do you look for those formations and do you use them as signals? Or as, as you were explaining before, is it more just looking for bottom left to top right? Yeah, that is a really good question. It can get completely complicated and confusing if you go and use all of those candlestick patterns. There really aren't that many that you need to know. And certainly if your traders are looking at and investors are looking at the Australian market, there are some that work better in the Australian market than others. So in total, I'd probably use 10 very consistently. And the others, look, sometimes they happen, sometimes they don't. I'm just wondering as well, so you're mentioning that you can put resources onto the page related to this particular episode. That's right, isn't it, Alec? Yeah. So maybe what I can do, I can give a limited time offer. I actually have a resource that I sell. It's the candlestick charting summary. So it gives the main candlestick patterns that I use. And I'd be happy to give that to your people for free. And we'd better put a two-month limit on that so that I don't keep that page open. So you know how to get – you know how to do all of your side – I'll give you the link after this interview and that way your people can register and get that summary for free so they don't have to buy it through my shop. It is something that I sell through my shop, but let's let's just make sure that your people have it. 
That'd that be awesome. Give you, yeah, I think it would be really useful for, you, for your listeners. That will give you all of the patterns that I use and it will give you the psychological explanation behind each pattern. So that is something that I think is really important. Now, probably just on that one topic, I, I just want to take it one step further, if that's okay. There is one thing that people who use candlesticks consistently get wrong, and I'd like to give this to you. This is this is something that I see even with experienced candlestick analysts. It's something that means that they're not on the right side of the trend. So could I just mention that perhaps for your listeners? Sure. So the idea is, first of all, start with the trend. And if it's an uptrend, then bottom candlestick patterns will be very powerful because it's in line with the trend. So you're reversing a counter trend reversal for those of you that know what that means. And if you don't, it just means if it's going up, you need to trade in direction of that trend and you can get in at a bottom candlestick reversal pattern. They'll be the strongest. So ones that are calling the top, of the trend, a top candlestick reversal pattern, they'll be very weak. Now, when you've got that candlestick charting summary that I'm going to give you, make sure that you're trading them in line with the overall trend. This is the biggest mistake I see people make with candles, and we don't want your people to do that, especially when they're learning about trading and learning about candlestick charting. It's best to start out with that original trend. Analyze that first. So some of that may sound confusing to people who have no idea, but um, yeah, very generous Louise. We'll put that up on our site and they can head to the link and grab this resource. Uh, I think it'll be fantastic for anyone who's also going to be entering our uh, Australia's Next Top Trader competition kicking off in March as that's going to be six weeks and a fantastic opportunity to put some of these tips into practice. So really for the, the people who are considering entering this, I would suggest your first step is look at a chart, step back three or four paces, squint your eyes, look at that chart through squinted eyes and say, is it going up, down or sideways? And if it's going up, you buy it. If it's going sideways or down, move along to the next chart. Don't buy the ones that are going down or sideways. You just nice. won't win. You want to go to New York? Pick one's going up. There we go. And no, you cannot pretend to be a university student. Damn it. All righty. So you've mentioned resources there and I think, um, you know, you've got a ton of resources and we're just about to jump into the trading game. But for a beginner, is there anything else that you can recommend that would be a great resource to start um, getting in their heads around the basics of what you've just discussed, um, both free and, and paid. Um, obviously, f free at this stage is probably better, but um, do you have any sort of particular ones that really, um, you know, you find a great resource? Sure. Yeah. Probably the best thing that I can suggest is to start by writing out your trading plan and you're going to need help with that. So if you go to my website, tradinggame.com.au, I have my free trading plan template there and a free five-part e-course called Trading Made Simple. Now, that's where you should start. It is a great way for me to be able to prompt you to the areas you need to look at and I will look into your blind spot. I will see the areas that you don't know and that's the perfect spot to start. I would suggest you start there. Don't pay for anything yet. Start with a free resource that 
you know you can trust. I've been around for so long in the markets. I've been trading since 1990. I've been a best-selling author since the mid-90s. So I've been around for a very long time <laughs> and I will look after your people. So certainly <laughs> that would be the place I'd start. And then if you like that, if you like the idea of trading, you like the idea of charts, that Trading Made Simple course will give that to you. You'll understand whether this is for you or not. Then move on to books. You know, I've got some books there, Trading Secrets and Charting Secrets. They'd be the ones I'd start with. I break it all down, make it easy, give you exercises to do so that you can test yourself and then check your answers according to the way that I've analysed that chart. Yeah. Yeah, great. So um, now, now that we're talking about the trading game, do you want to just uh, give us an overview of what, what it is, uh, what it offers, and then we'll get into some of the specifics uh, and sure. around it? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. So my business partner is Chris Tate. Now, he was the person who had the very first book on trading in Australia published, which is, um, you know, that's pretty cool. We should know another Chris? Another Chris. Yeah, see, look, I'm married to a Chris. You know, my business partner's a Chris. So, yeah, there's no end to this in my life, let me assure you. (laughs) So, Chris Tate used to trade on the floor. He was one of those big guys that, you know, made threatening hand signals and and wore the funny coloured jacket. So, he's, he's been around for a little longer than I have. And between the two of us, We've decided because we were bored as full-time traders, there's only so much you can do. And really, it wasn't ticking all the boxes for me. I mean, money by itself is great, but then what contribution, what impact are you going to leave on the world? It just it doesn't do that for you. So you need to have more in your life. And that's why I love you guys too, because you know that. You're doing a podcast so that you can help people achieve. And that's what I love. So I'm right behind you with that goal. So Chris Tate and I teamed up and it's over 20 years ago now, I think it was 1997 that we started um, looking after some traders. And now we look after traders who want to achieve and we look after their psychology because I've got a psychology degree and a business degree um, because psychology is so important in the markets. We look after system design with them, making sure that they've got the right system in place and that it suits their lifestyle and maintenance. So once they're trading, that they continue trading effectively, that they don't get caught up with something that can go wrong, which I think we all do. You know, from time to time, you can go off the rails. So maintenance is very important. And that's why we've been running, this is our 19th year of running our repeat for free mentor program. So it's a long-term repeat for free community where I just adore our traders and I get the love back. So it, it definitely suits me for for my life goals as well as running this alongside trading. So uh, in that you talk about uh, setting up a trading system and that, that might be a term that not a lot of people are familiar with. So uh, in, in the trading uh, game literature, you talk about three key concepts being entry. Actually, I know I do in there. Can I just simplify it one step further? So I'll just interrupt you there because I know exactly what you're going to say there. Um, (laughs) Often we appeal to people who have um, that kind of brokerage background or people who have that very technical background and that article was for them. So can I just um, 
can I step it back? Yeah, so, absolutely. Well, do you want to explain in more general terms then what yes. a trading system is? Yes, that's exactly what I want to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> how did you guess? I think I forced you into that that corner. There. <laughs> so, a trading system is designed to keep you safe in the markets. It's your Bible. It's a thing that you have written down, and you've got it beside you while the markets are open and while you're trading. And it's something that will only need a tweak now and again. It's not something you keep on rewriting from minute to minute. And it covers your entry, which is how to get into a trade, the type of patterns you're looking for, the type of weight of evidence of different indicators that you're looking for. Entry is number one. Number two is exit. So how to get out. What's your stop loss procedure? What's your trailing stop? If you've got a profit, how do you capture that profit? What do you do to exit if you don't have enough liquidity? All of these types of exit concepts. And then the third concept that it covers is position sizing. How much money to place in a trade? Now, I know that some people think it's very mathematical and it's just not. I am, I'm, I've got a maths background, but I'm not using that in there. I put in two things into my spreadsheet and da, 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 it tells me how many shares to buy. So those three tenants, entry, exit, position sizing, they are the core of every single trading system. Interesting. Now, Louise, I, I've got to ask this. In on the website, there are you make claims like uh, uh, you know beat the hedge fund managers at their own game, and you call the trading system uh, a paint by numbers system, so you can achieve the lifestyle you deserve. Cla- claims like that always get me a little bit worried, especially you know when study after study shows that short term most short term traders fail to beat the market over the long term. So, in saying that, what why is it a good thing to encourage? you know, retail investors, mum and dad investors uh, to embrace a more short-term outlook and to, you know, try and beat the market over the short term? Uh, I can see where the confusion has crept in there. I'm not suggesting a short-term outlook. When I've mentioned short before, I'm talking about shorting the market, making money out of downtrends. So, my own my own average hold time, though, is 21 weeks. Right. So, day, day traders don't make more money. They don't. Medium-term traders make money and longer-term traders. Just because you're using some of the short-term tools doesn't mean that you should have a short-term outlook. In saying that though, 21 weeks isn't really that long a time and I I still think that, you know, encouraging retail investors who aren't experienced and who don't have a lot of knowledge to trade even, you know, in, you know, six-monthly trades is still not the sort of long-term compounding effect that we see consistently outperform over the long term. So, so I guess, yeah, why when study after study shows, you know, holding an ETF for 20 years beats most trading strategies, why is this the right decision? Yeah, I can hear where you're coming from. I think, though, if something is going wrong, you need to exit. And finding out where that trade has gone wrong in inverted commas so where is your stop loss that is the thing actually when you have a look at the studies as well when you compare with fund management actual results it's quite astounding where they've got that long-term view they're holding on for ages and their results are 
awful. So currently, and we're talking current figures, if you look at Australian general equities, 74.27% of managers fail to match the benchmark over a 10-year period. You've got, with when you have a look at the actual returns. So the benchmark ASX 200 index, when that went down 8.1% over a quarter and 2.8% for the year, unfortunately, when the market was going down, the fund managers with their long-term view managed to go down even further than that. They went minus 10% for the quarter and minus 4.2% for the year. So I would disagree with your views in terms of holding long-term, you'll be right. It depends on you on the length of your view, when to get involved. Some of these ETFs as well, if you're talking about ETFs, they haven't been around that long. They're doing it on projections. A lot of them do fail and they go out of the list that you can trade. And many of them don't have sufficient liquidity. So I would never encourage somebody to get involved in the market if they don't know what they're doing. I'm educate first and then get involved. Otherwise, you can run with scissors in your hand and you can hurt yourself. I don't suggest that getting involved without knowing what you're doing at any time is a good idea, regardless of the length of your view, Alec. The the idea that all these hedge funds are, are just pursuing long-term, com, like long-term strategies, I, I don't know if that is the, I think a lot of them are trading, they're trying to hedge risk uh, and they are embracing more short and medium-term trading as well. And then you're right, they do generally not outperform and also the idea that ETFs are based on projections you can backtest any strategy and when you backtest all these different strategies the the long-term compounding effect of market returns does beat you know mo most other strategies so um, maybe maybe this is a conversation a longer conversation we can have at another time Look, I do think regardless, the things that we do agree on is to educate yourself about the markets before you get involved and to determine the length of your view. If you are in your 20s, sure, you can have a few downtrending situations and it won't matter so much because you've got time on your side. But if you're in your 40s and 50s, you really better fully be educated before you get involved because you don't have as much time on your side. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good debate, and I think as you know, as Stan said, you know, you can make money on any stock, but it's just about how you manage the trade once you're in there. So yeah, I can certainly yeah. see both both sides of the argument. And here. it's really not the tool that is dangerous; it's the person holding the tool. So speaking of tools, you know, you mentioned also the use of leverage in in part of the trading game charlie munger says there's three ways that you can go liquor ladies and leverage um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe so all three <laughs> is and you know we, we've been discussing the use of leverage ourselves and you know it, it can be seen as uh you know it's one of those things that i guess those that are successful with leverage talk about it and probably those that aren't so successful don't really talk about it so what are some of the risks of using leverage and I guess is it something for everyone? Gosh, it's definitely not something for everyone. I 
always suggest that when you're starting to trade, you do 20 trades as a minimum without leverage and see, just see whether this suits you. I think that people run into leverage too early. They use leverage tools too early and very complicated trades. So, you know, if you want to do an iron condor butterfly with a twist of lime as an option strategy for your first trade, <laughs> it will hurt. It will really hurt. I think also that people who don't trade with leverage can make beautiful money. So you don't have to apply leverage to do well with this. There are a lot of misunderstandings with leverage. I think we can all agree. I'm interested to know, so what sort of people are using the trading game in your mentor program? Yeah, for sure. Well, we've got a very big dichotomy. You've got the very experienced people who are wanting to refine their skills, maybe add an extra tool or two to their arsenal. And you've got complete beginners as well. So probably each year, we've just... Um, sort of kicked off with pre-season training for the mentor program. We actually start the mentor program over the next couple of weeks. And because it is a lifetime situation because you can repeat for free, those beginners are held very safely for their very beginning trades. And we even suggest people don't trade during the mentor program. Wait until they've finished the 12 months and then begin trading. So we're we're that far into education where they've got knowledge and they can implement and then they're, they're looking after themselves and their bank account with our support. Mm. So the type of people who do the mentor program, they've, um, they're my friends now. I mean, I don't have an office to go to. I mean, I don't have my little water cooler discussions anymore <laughs> um, and I haven't for so many years. So, so these guys are, and ladies, of course, are my peers. We hunt as a pack. We look at trading strategies together. It's people who have an aspiration for their future and that they want their future to be different perhaps than the others around them. Quite a few of them have a negative friend or family member or spouse and they need our support. I don't think you can do this alone. It's something that you need education with, you need the support of people who care and you need the strategies to be able to achieve well. So Louise, let, let's move to, oh, actually before we move on, so um, we'll include a link to the stra trading strategy website uh, on, in the show notes as well. So if anyone's interested in signing up and uh joining the mentor program and learning how to trade uh, candlestick charts, uh, jump on the show notes. Um, you're also, you, so you've studied finance and you're also a behavioral finance expert. Yes. So I've, I've studied, actually, my, my degree was in marketing, but finance was a part of that because I've got a psychology degree as well as the two combined very nicely. Yeah. We've discussed behavioral finance with a couple of guests before and we find it a really interesting uh, field of study. So do you want to just introduce it quickly and uh, name some of the main uh, cognitive biases that, uh, that you're looking for and you're seeing through your mentoring program? Sure. I do know that um, you have had quite a coverage with this area. So I want to talk about something extremely current that I don't know if your, your other people that you've had on the show have covered. So behavioural finance is looking at our mindset and our biases and things that can go wrong with our mindset that can interfere with us earning money. Now, the key one that I want to talk about in terms of charting, and this is based on looking at hundreds of trading plans from the mentors, that the mentorees that I've taught, and looking at 
people's results because we have been audited. Our our traders actually have run through a complete audit process where luckily, <laughs> thank goodness, 350 traders were looked at with their trading plans, whether they followed their trading plans and what their trading results are. And we've come out with a registered company auditor statement of they make money regardless of market conditions. So whether the market's going up, down or sideways. So that's a beautiful thing. Now, the people who've done beautifully with that, they have a trade archetype. Now, this is something that is perfect. Marriage material, the ideal chart. The Stan Weinstein wrote about it in his book type of chart. That's his poster child of charts. Imagine the perfect, perfect chart. Now, once you've got that in your mind, find charts that correspond, print them out, pin them up, make sure that your current trades fit that archetype. Now, I haven't named this process yet, but there will be some nifty name that I'll give to this over the coming months, I'm sure. But this is the biggest thing that traders are doing incorrectly. They are not following their trading plan. They are not looking at their archetype and getting their new trades to match that archetype. We, we have interviewed a guy called Mir Statman and he's a professor in, in behavioural finance and his advice for overcoming cognitive bias was market returns over, over a long time horizon as we've sort of just discussed um, and he says otherwise you, you risk getting eaten by the lion and as his sort of quote is. So with a focus on trading, how do you overcome that sort of cognitive bias? You need somebody you need somebody on your side to say yeah, right. this is what your situation is. Often you can't name it yourself. Mm. You struggle to see your own flaws and mm. you need an unreasonable friend, somebody to say, well, see, that you guys have got each other. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. I didn't Ren never has trade. my back, though. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? A knife? Oh, look. <laughs> I didn't kidding, learn does. with a trading friend. I would have loved to have what you guys have got. I had my broker and, you know, literally my money was used so that he could learn as well. I think he needs someone to say, here is your blind spot. This is what I think you should do about it. And to be that unreasonable friend. That seems to be the best way to get around your own foibles. So I guess uh, in the case of the trading game, you and the mentors take take on that role as the unreasonable friend? Yes, yes. <laughs> we, we set up our newbies as well with a trading buddy. So that buddy is somebody who's done the course several times and has had some experience in the market and also they're volunteers. So they have their heart in the right place. They want to feed into this gorgeous trading community. And we also suggest that continual education can help. So my podcast, talkingtrading.com.au, that's free. It's, it's weekly. It, it comes out so that you can feed your brain. That continual input can really help as well. Mm. Yeah, nice. We'll, um, we'll include a link to the podcast as well. Um, so people can uh, – there will be plenty of links in the show notes by the sounds of it, but it will be a good resource, so that will be helpful for people. One, one other question I have. So you, you have an interest in charts which, um, you know, uh, show sort of the, the price movements, what people are buying and selling at, and an interest in behavioral finance. Do, do those two interests cross over and do you use charts to try and get some insight into the sort of the, the mass psychology of the market? 
that is exactly what it is. <laughs> you couldn't have expressed it any better. You've got the two areas that can really impact your results. Firstly, those inches between your ears, your mindset, how you view the world, your thoughts about wealth and money and charts. And then you've got the math psychology out there and that's represented on a chart. So exactly right. The two are beautifully Venn diagrammed, perfectly overlapping. So Louise, we have now reached the final three questions that we ask all of our guests. Um, so if you don't mind, we'll crack straight into them. Other than the many, many books that you have written, what, well, you can say them if you want, but what are some of your <laughs> must-read books? <laughs> sure. Investing Look, or otherwise? I'm going to choose otherwise for these ones. I think okay. it's good to vary your reading and really reading about investing, sooner or later, you're going to get a bit bored. So, <laughs> or is that is that just me? So... <laughs> I'm going to suggest ones that I don't believe have been recommended on your show before. Firstly, The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen Rubin has her own podcast. Um, she has run The Happiness Project where she spent a month out of a year, like the 12 months, on a different part of her life to try and improve her own happiness. The Four Tendencies talks about accountability, whether you're the type of person that needs external accountability or internal accountability. It's a fun read. I love Gretchen. I think she's absolutely fantastic. I wish she'd come on this podcast. If you guys get her on this podcast, oh, that would be wonderful. So please do approach. And I think that would be a good one for anybody struggling with discipline, anybody wanting to know why sometimes they need someone looking over their shoulder to achieve. That will give you your answer. Now, number two, I'm holding this book at the moment. Cal Newport has written Deep Work. It's Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I get really distracted by my phone. It beeps and it bops and then someone calls and, you know, you'll sit down to do something incredibly meaningful and then, oh, you know, all of a sudden I'm looking at pictures of cats. <laughs> so, this talks about how to minimize distractions and I love it. Even if you give this one a skim read, but then with parts of it, then really settle on in and you can almost feel yourself doing deep work while you're reading the book. So I don't think anybody's I, – I, I can't tell you whether they have on this podcast, but I don't think they've recommended that one. No. And number three, this is a brand new book. I read this in a weekend. I loved it. It's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Now, this is about habit formation. It talks about how tiny changes can lead to remarkable results. And you know why I've chosen this one, guys? I know that you guys are long-term and I know you love compound interest. <laughs> this one is talking about that same concept but in your own habit formation in your life. So you make these tiny little changes and at the end you have incredible leverage in terms of your own results. It does remind me of The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. My only concern with this book is that he didn't tell you about The Slight Edge. It does make me wonder whether he read it. He should have read it. James Clear, really, if you're listening to this podcast, read The Slight <laughs> Take Edge. Note. <laughs> Take note. And I do have one little philosophical difference here. At the very end of the book, he talks about happiness being the achievement of goals. I would suggest no. I would suggest running after your goals is a hell of a lot of happiness there. So I would 
I would like to debate with James. If you guys can set that debate up, I'm I'm all for you with that. (laughs) (laughs) So they're the three: atomic habits, deep work, and the four tendencies. Nice. That's great. And um, we'll include those links as well in the show notes. Um, Second question, what is your go-to resource for investing information? You know I'm going to say my website, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on. So (laughs) tradinggame.com.au. That's easy. (laughs) And then uh, I guess we'll get on to the last one. Uh, If you had to... Uh, go back and tell your 20-year-old self one thing, um, what would that be? Yeah, that's such a good question. If you think of me at 20, I had my life ahead of me. I was beginning a career that I thought was going to be the fast track and that I was going to make so much money from. I had an ego that was massive. I just started trading. I just thought the world was my oyster. And then in a few short years, I'd lost use of my arms and I'd lost my job and I didn't think I could have children. So I would tell that 20-year-old self, the bad times don't last, but the good times don't last either. And I know that does sound a little pessimistic, but then you're cherishing the good times when they're there and you realize when you're in the depths of despair that the bad times, if you can just hang on and just stay around and just do the things to be a good animal, watch your sleep, watch your food, watch your friends, be careful with your body, they're the things that keep you going through the bad times. So, yep, my 20-year-old self would be told, the good times don't last and the bad times don't last either. There we go. Some great uh, advice there to, to finish and, and round out what has been a, a fascinating and uh, information-filled conversation. Um, I need to link a time where Ren and you, Louise, can go out the back and finish your conversation. <laughs> oh, <around>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, the gloves are on. <laughs> investing versus trading. Um, so, Louise, thank you so much for your time. As I said, I got a bunch of stuff out of that. You know, trading and charts is something that uh, obviously we don't have a huge focus on, not that we have anything against it. I would love to lo- learn more about it. And you've given us some great resources there to start. We will put those links up on our website for the 10 chart patterns. So we will we'll put that up. And hopefully we can get you involved in Australia's Next Top Trader. As I said, it's a six-week competition. I think you'll, you'll be an excellent mentor for some of the, for, for the competitors. Thanks for joining us on a Saturday morning after Phil Collins on a Friday night. Yeah, that was fantastic. <laughs> um, really appreciate your time and, and looking forward to um, keeping in touch and discussing this further. Fabulous. Good being on. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation.